0: Hello adventuresses and welcome to the podcast show for women who love horses, travel and adventure. I'm Ute and together with my partner Heather, I'm happy to welcome you to another exciting episode. One word before we start. If you like this show, please give us a rating or review on your podcast player as this will help in keeping this podcast up and running. Also tell your friends about it so more like-minded women can find us and start listening. Thank you. And today we have another horsey destination episode. I have been to Morocco and I have been riding and seeing horses and enjoying myself uh, recently. So I want to talk with you about this wonderful country. I want to tell you a couple of things uh, which stuck my mind and which I think might be interested might be interesting for those of you who are toying with the idea of going to Morocco or I might also uh, be able maybe to interest you in this beautiful country and uh, it's wonderful uh, horse culture and yeah um, so I'm super excited let's just go to the show we are explorers we are trailblazers we love to do what cannot be done we love to test our limits cross borders and we love the freedom horses bring us we seek lands without fences who are we we are equestrian adventuresses we are a community of women who love horses travel and adventure to infinity and beyond and now your hosts Uta and heather and before we head straight into today's episode, I wanted to let you know about a great resource for Kestrian travelers. We offer you complimentary. The Kestrian Adventurers' Travel Series e which you can download free of charge from our website. There are three books so far. One is about horse travel in the US. The second one is about horse travel worldwide. And the third one is about volunteering and working with horses abroad. All books are loaded with lots of valuable information to help you choose and prepare for your dream equestrian vacation. There are destination guides, travel tips, addresses and descriptions of selected outfitters and stables abroad. And the best is you can download these eBooks totally free of charge from our website. If you prefer a paperback copy you can take around with you while sitting in the garden or reading it on the beach, you can buy those from Amazon. This is a super valuable travel resource we offer you to, have, to help you having your own personal equestrian adventure abroad. And if that's not enough resource for your next equestrian holiday, grab our Horse Riding in Every Country Guide, which offers more than 400 riding outfitters, companies, and stables in eight, 180 plus countries. Did you know you could go on an equestrian vacation in Senegal? What about Uruguay, Argentina, or maybe Lesotho? start browsing and find the best riding holidays and horseback tours all over the world and if that's not enough, there's of course plenty of other featured horse books, there's our Around the World on 180 Horses series, uh, book one, the quest for Dracula's Lost Treasure, there's of course our Castron Adventuresses short story series, there's uh, Settles and Sisterhood, which we currently offer you free of charge, then there's Going the Distance, Have Preaches, Will Travel, Horse Nomads, and of course, Speaking the Horse Language. Have a look at our website, uh, castrianadventresses.com, or have a look on Amazon, where you can find the paperback copies, the ebooks, and even some as audiobooks. For any other information on our books just have a look on the website or in the show notes on your podcast player and here i'm back again talking about horse destination morocco and i just came back from a wonderful wonderful vacation i had two weeks off and i traveled to morocco which was basically on my bucket list since ages i always dreamt about morocco i even uh, wrote a short story set in Morocco about a horse uh, trail in Morocco because the country has always inspired me and I've seen lots of pictures and of course I love the horses I love the barb horses I love the Arabian horses and a mix between Arabian and barb horses well it's like just mind-blowing so let's talk a little bit about Morocco in general um, maybe shortly uh, first about my own uh, little Vacation. I basically flew in and out of Marrakech because that's pretty much the easiest way to get into southern, southern and central Morocco from Europe, from Germany basically. Uh, from France, you have a lot of more connections, but from Germany, it's basically either Casablanca, which is all in the north, or you can head to Marrakech, which is in the center of the country, and there's very few. Direct flights to Agadir, the big uh, city in the south where basically the beach vacationist had. So, um, yeah, so we basically flew into Marrakesh and we flew out of Marrakesh. And uh, in order to get around, I rented a car, which was actually very cheap. It cost me less than 200 euro for two weeks. And I mean, it was a very small car, but it was two of us, me and my friend. So we were two girls traveling uh, all from Morocco on our own. So it was never, ever a problem. We didn't face any problems, any threats, any dangers. Uh, We never felt uncomfortable. We felt extremely comfortable. We felt extremely welcomed by the people. Um, Moroccan people are super friendly. They're super welcoming. They're very helpful. It's very easy to travel through Morocco if you speak French, um, because that's still a very common language. Uh, A lot of the students learn it in school. And because while French was... Uh, France was the the old, um, well, it, Morocco has never been a colony of France, but a protectorate for many years. So French is still a language you can get around with very easy. In the tourist centers, people speak English and they speak German as well. And generally, Moroccan people are very accommodating. So um, even if they don't really speak a lot of English, many of them speak a little um, it's now also taught in the schools, so a third language. So everyone who's gotten a uh, better education, um, they usually speak English as well. So it's easy to get around. People are super, super nice. They usually point you where you want to go. Um, they help you if you have any problems or any issues. They explain things to you. They show you things um, it was It's quite easy to drive around in Morocco. It's a country you drive on the right-hand side. Um, traffic in the cities is a bit chaotic. Um, not so easy to manage. But once you're out of the cities, uh, overland is very easy. You have very good roads. I was surprised um, that the national roads are really, really good. Um there is, however, you have to really, there's a lot of speed limitations and you really have to, uh, you have to watch out, uh, because I was caught, uh, speeding once by police. So they stopped me, um, very politely told me that mm, you have been too fast. I was, um, it was 60 kilometers per hour and I was 68. So I had to pay like 15 euros, uh, and fine directly there. They gave me a receipt. They were very, very polite. They took my car details, my driving license details, um, gave me the receipt, and and wished me on a a nice journey. (laughs) So, um, yeah. So it's basically a country which is very easy to travel with. And in fact, uh, lots of people from Europe discover Morocco with a camper um, or bring vans or own cars. We saw lots of foreigners driving there, lots of French people, um, a few Belgians, uh, quite a few Dutch people, a few Germans, Swiss Uh, a lot of people from europe actually take their own cars or campers and they take the ferry boat there's ferry boats from italy there's ferry boats from france and there's a lot of ferries from spain obviously and from spain you have like a ferry journey which is very short from to tangiers it's like really short i think it's uh not even an hour so it's very close so let's talk a little bit about Morocco in general. First of all, it's a country in Northern Africa and the Maghreb region. It's officially the Kingdom of Morocco. The head of state is King Mohammed VI uh, at the moment. The capital is Rabat, but the biggest city in the country is Casablanca. It's an Islamic country, but Moroccan culture is basically a mix of Arab, Berber, or Ber- um, Berber or Barb, and European elements, really. It's it's really a country situated at the crossroads between East and West. It's a country which feels European in some senses, particularly when you're in Casablanca, for instance, or even in some of the biggest cities such as Marrakesh. I mean, obviously not in the bazaars, but a little bit in the more modern parts of the cities. You have wide avenues, you have a traffic system, which is very much like in Europe, and uh, it feels... In some places, really westernized, you have like fountains and gardens and parks and lanes and uh, you have malls and, you know, everything we have in western countries as well. Um, The neighboring countries are Algeria to the east and Mauritania to the south. And it's bordered by the Mediterranean Sea in the north and the Atlantic Ocean to the northwest and west. Morocco has been inhabited since the Paleolithic era over 300,000 years ago. But the proper state, the first proper state of Morocco was founded in 788 by Idris I. Subsequently it was ruled by different dynasties and its territory extended into the Iberian Peninsula well into the 12th century and actually beyond um, with the Sultanate of, well, with the Caliphate actually of Granada and uh, but lots of smaller regions there so there have always been a connection between Morocco and Spain for actually around about 500 years. Um... In the 15th and 16th century, Portugal and the Ottoman Empire encroached on Moroccan territory. However, Morocco has always remained independent, um, pretty much until the Europeans really made big business in Africa. And in 1906, the country came under French and Spanish influence. Both these countries were basically fighting for their sphere of influence in the country, and it was officially made a protectorate in 1912 with the Treaty of Fez of both these uh, countries: Spain, more in the north, and French, uh, France in the south. Uh, in 1956, Morocco finally regained its full independence and became a kingdom with King Mohammed V. Earlier, um, the rulers of Morocco called themselves Sultan. Yeah, since then, it has been a relatively stable country. I mean, um, it has there, I think, little problems here and there. It's the fifth largest economy in Africa, and it's considered a middle or regional power. Tourism is one of its main source of income. It's uh, the tourism itself or kind of the touristic infrastructure is really well developed. And tourism or um, they try to focus tourism on the country's culture and history with a lot of cultural and historic tours through the the ancient um uh they call them the king cities, uh Fez and Marrakesh. And uh, of course there's plenty of tourism, plenty of tourists who go the circuit. And also on the coastline of course. So uh, particularly the Atlantic coast is a mecca for surfing. Windsurfing, kitesurfing, uh wave surfing, I don't know. Um plenty of, of opportunity to surf. Um, tourism is basically Morocco's second largest foreign exchange earner and so the government is really really interested in it and investing heavily trying to make Morocco one of the top 20 tourist destinations in the world I'm not quite sure if they've succeeded yet for Europeans as a sort of secret tip it's not yet officially one of those places you have to go a lot of tourists go but um, particularly Marrakech um, it's crazy there's really a lot of tourists there and I think also in Agadir and Esoria on the coastline, where people really come to spend the summer vacations, mainly, mainly French people, but also more and more Germans and other nationalities. Um, so it's important for the government to project Morocco as um, cheap, exotic, and basically safe. So we found that there was a lot of police all over the place and the cities, a lot of police out on the roads. Pretty much whenever you entered a city, there was a police uh, police guy standing around looking and checking the vehicles coming in. Never us. When um, we were driving in there as two blonde girls, they just waved us through. They saw us and said, oh, they're tourists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let them pass. Um but uh, I, I heard from several corners that this is mainly to make uh, the tourists feel safe and uh, driving around and, you know, driving overlands and all. I definitely felt the police was very friendly towards us, very um, nice. I think we asked police once or twice uh, when we were not quite sure where we had to go. And they were always very impolite uh Telling us the right way or trying to tell us um, if they knew. Uh, Not always, but um, they were very friendly and very polite towards us. So Morocco's popularity with tourists is also helped by the fact that it's very close to Europe. Um, There's plenty of flights nowadays. There's plenty of ferry boats as well, as I mentioned, where you uh, you can really go over with your car. And uh, you can drive around Morocco, I think, for six months in your own car and uh, then you have to go back. Uh, Visa is also not a problem. I think uh, most of European countries uh, do not need a visa for Morocco. And I think neither do Americans or Canadians need a proper visa. You can just arrive, you get the stamp on the passport and that's it. If you look at Morocco's geography, it's really, really interesting. It's far from only being a desert country. It's actually a country with a lot of mountains. We have the High Atlas, which is the highest mountain range in northern Africa, with its highest peak, the Tupkal, being 4,167 meters high, which is pretty high. It has a really long coastline. Um, As I mentioned, prime spot for surfing. And uh, even up at the uh, Mediterranean, again, another big coastline. So the Sahara Desert is situated in the southwestern part of Morocco, but close to its border with Algeria and just takes, uh, uh, takes over a small part of the country. Really, the climate is Mediterranean with hot summers. So summertime is not a time to really visit um, Marrakech. For instance, it gets really hot. People told me they have like forty-five degrees there in in August, July, and August, which are the hottest month. Um, Marrakech is more a winter, spring, or autumn destination. It can get quite chilly in winter. We went there um, end of February and came back in March, and we found the first couple of days were quite cold because we had rain and we had temperatures at times only about 15 degrees so it was quite chilly quite cool but for instance in Marrakesh and also up in the mountains almost all the hotels had uh, fireplaces so in the evening when it got chilly people would just you know turn on the fire and uh, it was actually kind of yeah really quite cozy uh, sitting close to the fire and warming up a little bit because the rooms usually are made for Um, the heat rather than the cold so they have small windows there's very little light coming inside and um, yeah some of them are a little damp so the fireplace was definitely uh, a favorite place to be in the first week the second week got warmer and sunnier and drier so it was much pleasant much more pleasant in terms of weather um so due to the variation in altitudes, there are really plenty of different vegetation zones. We really have like forests, we have steppes, we have arid zones, we have desert. So the range of climate is uh, supposedly very similar to Southern California. We have a high range of biodiversity. We went to visit a national park as well, the Susmasa National Park, which is south of Agadir, where um, you have populations of ostriches, um, gazelle, antelope, um Many of them were hunted to extinction and were brought back in special breeding programs and special rewilding programs. Um, We have quite a few national parks nowadays or protected areas where these species can regain ground. Unfortunately, the the big predators such as the Barbary lion and the Atlas bear have been um, extinct. Um, There's again breeding programs. Uh, hoping to bring back the Barbary lion, which is a very uh, big lion, a solitary lion. Usually lions are pack animals, but um, not the Barbary lion. It's usually um, a solitary animal or more solitary than other lion. Um, So it's interesting to see where that leads us because it's a very big predator. It's bigger. It's also one of the biggest species of lions. So I wonder whether we is going to see the comeback. It's still being bred in captivity and some of the zoos so there is a program of trying to or trying to reintroduce the barbary line uh, one thing we noticed when we were driving through the country is really that a lot of the cacti in um, in morocco has died have they, they died uh, that's because of the introduction of uh, an insect and um, they basically attacked or yeah, kind of attacked these, uh, these cacti and, uh, led to the death of really thousands of cacti plants all around Morocco. And that's really very sad to see because they all turned brittle and black and basically people just hacked them small and burned them or yeah. And in parts, they was just left standing because so many of it, um, and it's bad for the people as well because the cacti they give figs, they give the so called Barbary fig, um a little fruit. And a lot of the people they're dependent on that fruit. And first was Corona and then this uh yeah, this pro this plague of, of the cacti. And this has hit the country very, very hard, both of these um yeah, catastrophes you can say. There has been um there is a breeding program to bring back another species of cacti which is immune to this insect and um, apparently there is programs of of introducing it into uh, the wild and hopefully we'll soon see a comeback of the big cacti uh, forests well let's look a little bit about um, Moroccan horse culture so of course when I went to Morocco with my friend, I had to ride. I mean, horse riding is like a national sport in Morocco. In the olden days, pretty much every family had a horse. It was a, a symbol of statues. And um, horses were considered sacred. They were considered uh, really you know something and um, you were nothing without a horse so every family had at least one horse for the Fantasia and even if uh, there was just one Fantasia two Fantasias a year um, they had to keep a horse obviously nowadays um, it's very expensive to keep horses and family a lot of families have done away with it however the country still loves horses and there's still plenty of horses around and when you ride through the villages you again and again see horses and of course we had to ride horses so we uh, went down south of Agadir. So there's a, a beautiful ranch there um, in uh, the province of Tiznit. It's called uh, Ranch Le Deux Gazelles and it's run by, uh, well, a French, two French women, basically, um, who do not live there. They have a, a couple as a managers, um, but this place has really been there for, I think, uh, a long time. And they offer different trails and they also offer riding programs. So we signed up for an endurance riding program for a week, uh, basically, which meant riding out in the mornings and riding out in the afternoons, doing a little bit of endurance training, um, learning a little bit about, um, you know, how to prepare our horses for the endurance competitions, how to train up the horses. And on the last day, we did a simulated 40 kilometers endurance race with our uh, with the horses there and it was just amazing um riding the 40 kilometers i think we did it in four hours um we had a little tussle and a little um yeah kind of uh, hold back on the trail when we encountered a mare in season which attacked us or our horses basically basically our geldings in the group uh because she was really badly in season so we had to stop uh catch her. uh Bring her back to the to her owners and then proceed. So that took probably ten minutes, but yeah, we did. We did. Uh, we enjoyed that a lot. Um, and yeah, it was really a lovely, lovely week riding these wonderful horses. They have. Um, barb horses there basically they have a mix between barb and arabian horses now let's talk a little bit about the horses first so the main indigenous breed horse breed of morocco is the barb or the berber horse it's considered one of the oldest horses or horse breeds in the world probably originated in the area today's sahara desert around four thousand years ago at least there were um, there's paintings of a horse which looks very very similar to uh, the barber or the the Barb, the Barb or the Berber horses of today, so from there it basically conquered the Maghreb region and has ever since been associated with the countries of Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia. So when Islam arrived in North Africa from, Ara- from the Arabian Peninsula, Arabian horses also came along, obviously. And they very often crossed them with the barbs to combine the advantage of other breeds. Um, the speed and the stamina of the Arabians and the sturdiness, the surefootedness, and the good character of the barb horses. So if you look at the barb horses, um, they're also small horses. Um, they're not super, super big Um they are similar to Arabian horses, I mean, of course they don 't have these the the dish they don 't really have this very concave head. They rather have um a straight nose or even a little bit of convex nose um, They were not super super big. they were also small horses, but sturdier um, They were horses really bred to to everything to do work to um, to go into war to be horses to be ridden and yeah so these horses um were really really uh, used for for a lot of things there and um they were really prized the barb horses and when the when the arabian horses came they started to really cross uh, the barbs and the arabians together to get um to get the another what is not really a breed but it's a type the uh, the barb arabian horse basically um today unfortunately the the pure barb horses are pretty rare um most of them really have been crossed with arabian horses because um they just make them a little faster so uh yeah every look at the pure uh barb horse it's usually not so big it's between Um, a meter 42 and a meter uh, 52 Um, you have mostly greys uh, bays and chestnuts and also black horses Um, mostly they are horses which have a short back um, but a very strong back and a strong uh, neck as well not really long Um, mostly the neck is rather short um the shoulder is rather a little bit on the steep side, and uh, they have very hard legs and very very hard uh hoofs. so they say a true barb horse never is lame um well uh yeah it's definitely a hardy horse, you can say, yeah, and of course, if you look at the bar at the influence of the barb horse on european breeds um there has always been this connection between uh, Morocco and the Iberian Peninsula, and of course when um when Tribes from invaders from 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 the Maghreb came to came to Europe to Spain and Portugal. They brought the horses, and they crossed them there with local horses, obviously. And from this, we have uh, the Spanish horses, the uh, the, Paris, the the pura raza española, the Andalusian, but also the lusitano. So they are very very uh, strongly connected to the barb horses. They have Arabian blood in them too, but more strongly the Barb blood. You can see it in the kind. They are stronger, shorter horses. They have a short back. They are strong. They are sturdy. They have more of the co- of the convex uh, um, head. They don't really have a very much of a dish. So uh, you can really see the connections between the Barb horses and yeah, pretty much all the so-called um, Baroque horses of of Europe. Uh, whether that's the Spanish horses, the Neapolitanian horses from uh, Italy, or even the Lipizzana horses. They also have barb blood in them. Uh, later, horses from the Maghreb were also taken and brought uh, to England, where they also had an influence on the thoroughbred. Um, there is a controversy about Goldofen, uh, uh, Godolphin Barb. Um, barb means Berber or Barb horse. Um, So he was called that way because he came from Tunisia, from Tunis uh, to England, but probably he wasn't a barb horse. He was probably an Arabian horse or at least a mix. We don't know exactly. I think he was called barb because he came from that area. It was more a regional um, name rather than the breed name. Uh, Anyway, people confused barb horses and Arabian horses in England because, uh, In the beginning, obviously, because the handlers spoke Arabian or Arabic, and um, a lot of these horses were small, so it was not always, or it's not always so easy to say today whether these horses uh, were pure Arabians or pure Barbs or mixed between both of them. Um, Probably Godolphin Barb uh, is an Arabian, uh, and the name Barb, that's why he's also called uh, Godolphin Arabian, um, but... Uh, the barb probably just comes from the region. Yeah. And also the barb horses probably have had a, a big influence on the kamak horses. Um, if you look at kamak horses and at barb horses, there is a lot of similarities, actually. And possibly also barb horses have influenced um, Irish or English, uh, particularly probably the Irish Connemara ponies. Yes. So, so much for the horses. We were riding basically um, crosses, barb, uh, Arabian crosses, because that's what is really the majority of horses in the country. So as I mentioned, that's just because um, it's a combination of these two breeds, which is probably uh, very well suited for trail riding. It's very well suited for endurance riding. Uh, We had horses which looked very much like Arabians and we had horses which looked very much like barbs. And the owners said they didn't, or the the managers there said also, they didn't know exactly. Uh, Very often you cannot really, um, you don't really know 100% how much blood of which breed uh, the horse has. But they said, well, a horse which is stronger and more sturdy has probably about 75% bar blood and 25% Arabian blood. And the opposite is true for these horses, which look very much like little Arabs. They were great horses, though. They were really, really sturdy. They had a lot of go. They were very well trained, which I really enjoyed. We did a lot of beach riding there, which is, I think, a dream come true for every rider because... It was a, a huge beach, a huge sandy beach. On one hand, we had the ocean, the sea, the Atlantic. And on the other hand, we had dunes. We had sand dunes. So it was amazing. And we had a lot of uh, waves, quite high waves even. Uh, but the horses would go and splash in the water. It wasn't warm enough to really go and swim with them. And the water was too too wild, actually. The waves were too wild to really go deep into the water. But we went a couple of times in with the horses they really enjoyed it it was good for the legs it gives them a nice massage and a nice cooling on the legs and yeah we galloped on the beach and that's like crazy because there was nobody there Um, it was off season for beach tourists there were a few beach resorts there a few places um, you know these holiday homes and of course campers but there was hardly ever anyone there on the beach there was maybe one or the other day, there was like two people or three people somewhere there on the dunes or on the beach. We mostly had the beach for ourselves, and so we could really do these endless uh, canters. Uh, mostly, we did it in a controlled way, which was nice because the horses, like they know, of course, on the beach it's you know cantering. So if you ride them, if you if you have them nice and aligned, they were really nice and controllable and easy. But the minute you would you know put them side by side, they were like, yeah, let's go racing. And we did that once or twice, um particularly towards the end when they knew that we were all good riders and that was just just amazing. It was one of the of the yeah most wonderful experience I had in the saddle, and it was really, really enjoyable. These beach gallops never lasted long enough, and I could have done probably like double the distance but of course you have to think about the horses, then of course there's rocks in between sometimes, so there is um At some places you have to just uh, slow down to walk, head over to the rocks and then start again a little further ahead. And of course, yeah, Uh, it was amazing. It was really an amazing experience. They do have a trail ride also uh, going from Agadir down to the ranch it's, I think, a week-long ride, and um, it's called the Beach Trail, and they do a lot of beach riding there, too. And uh, the guide told me that uh, the beach close to Agadir is even better because there's less rocks than down uh, where the ranch is. So that really sounded pretty amazing, and uh, I really felt like signing up for one of these beach trails immediately, and I really love the horses. Uh, we rode a lot of different horses all the week, which was nice. I have about 20 horses there uh probably a little bit more say 25 i don't know exactly uh one donkey <laughs> i don't know what uh what they have the donkey for i guess he's a pet uh but uh, the horses are all pretty amazing as i said they're all barb arabian crosses they have two horses which are a bit bigger um there's probably some thoroughbred or maybe even some warm blood blood in those two um which is good because then you sometimes need a horse which is a big bit better bit bigger and sturdier for some of the heavier riders and uh yeah Uh, but otherwise there were these arabian barb horses some a bit more on the barb side some on the arabian side my two favorite really were um uh, gaia a beautiful arabian mare with a bit of barb blood in her she was lovely because she was really the she combined the best of both of the breeds She, she had a lovely head beautiful eyes she was a gray um, she had a nice short back and short neck, and she was really like a little riding pony. She was really nicely shaped actually and um, you 'd just uh, take the up the rein a little bit and play with the reins and she was really there with you. She was very soft in her mouth, but she was raring to go. She was really, really a little rocket um, the first time I rode her and it was trot she was like immediately went to a canter and she said let 's go and is it no, 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 it's trot. And she did a little jump and then she said, okay, fine, <laughs> if you insist. So she was a lovely horse and I really enjoyed riding her. Um, the other horse I rode in the end was the was a young gelding. He was called Ifran, which is one of the cities of uh, Morocco. A lot of them were actually uh, called after cities, which... Is interesting uh, he was a bay gelding uh, quite young just recently gelded but a lovely mount as well very very responsive very soft um, He, you could see that he was not yet that well trained as some of the others uh, and I just rode him on the last day for the last ride Um, But it was still lovely. Um, He didn't have the stamina of some of the other horses, but he was so responsive and I really loved riding him. But even the other horses, I mean, everyone had their favorites. Um, We all tried out some of the different horses, which was quite nice. There was little... A whiteboard outside the uh, the saddle room, and there were the names of all the horses and Every morning there were the names of us close to another horse and We would go there in the morning and check and say oh yeah i 'm riding this horse today oh i haven 't tried out that horse, so there was always a little surprise. Um, they, we had food there. We had breakfast, lunch and dinner. They cooked us beautiful Moroccan food. We really love the Tangines and the couscous, And um, yeah, we love the crepe in the morning and uh, the Moroccan mint tea. And the Vaven which is a kind of very special uh, herbal tea, which I think is a French tradition, which we had in the evenings after dinner. And of course, there were plenty of uh, always fresh, fresh orange juices uh, in the mornings. So we really had a lovely day. Lots of fruits, lots of vegetables. It was really um, Moroccan food. It's really delicious. It's less spicy than I thought. I thought it would be more spicy, but then I'm more used to spicy cuisine because of India. Uh, So for me, I guess, many... Uh, many cuisines are not quite so spicy as I'm used to spicy food so we really enjoyed um, the food there as well the food generally in Morocco every time we would arrive at a place they would immediately bring uh, mint tea for us sometimes sweets as well um, which were lovely and uh, while well, we did the check-in and drink the tea, and then you know, head to our room, in many places tea was never charged. It was just free because they say, no, we can't charge you for tea. That's something we have to offer to our guests. So that was um, that was nice actually. Yeah, we did this week down there and then we headed back up to Marrakesh. We did a little detour through the High Atlas Mountains uh, via the pass roads up to 2,200 meters. Um, there was still snow up there, which was kind of very weird on in Africa and there is snow. But uh, yeah, it was really enjoyable. And as I said, we felt really safe. We hadn't planned out all our night stays. So some of the night stays we just, you know... Found something, or looked something up, or we're just at a place and said, "Okay, this is a nice place to stay. Let's just stay here for the night, right?" And then let's have a look if we find a hotel close by. And it worked out very well, and we always stayed in very beautiful places, very nice places. As I mentioned, people have always been extremely friendly to us. Um, uh, the only time we really uh, felt a little annoyed was in Marrakesh when, while going on the compay on the on the big. Uh, central place the the Jama El Fna which is the Jemaa El Fna actually it's like the great place in the middle of Mar- Marrakech and you have lots of vendors there and there's lots of little food stalls in the evening and uh, well they basically bombard you with stuff and you have to really make sure that uh, they don't serve you uh, lots of dishes which you don't really want to eat and uh, and some of the bazaars people in Marrakech also were a little like uh, you know Hello, madam, come into my shop. You want to buy this? Just come in and see and look, not buy. And that kind of gets onto your nerves uh, if you hear it like constantly. But then, as I mentioned, Marrakesh is touristy. For us, it was probably the place we were a little bit disappointed with because I had thought Marrakesh to be really mythical, cool, um, really, really something extremely special. It was definitely it's definitely a place you should probably spend a day or two but that's it then head out of the city and go to other places and Morocco has so many places to offer it's amazing we just saw a very small kind place or a very small part of the country even though we drove a total of 1500 kilometers um up and down basically and tried to see as many things as we could on the way but um We only saw a small place, a small part of this beautiful, huge country. So honestly, it's something I could really say to you. Uh, Morocco is a beautiful country. It's really worth going. It has wonderful horses. I know there's lots of trail opportunities. When we were driving through the High Atlas, my friend and me, we said, let's go one day and do a proper horse trail in the High Atlas mountains because the countryside is so amazing. It is, uh, on one hand, it's really dry and arid in some places. It's just rocks. And then there is a little river somewhere and suddenly it gets green. There's a little, there's little villages, tiny places where people really live and made their huts. Um, February, March is the time of the blossoming of the almond trees. So they were all like pink and white and amazing, uh, Morocco is also famous for its palm gardens. There's in almost every oasis, they have a big palm garden. Um, there is usually a connection of underground water channels in order to um, to give water to all these palms. And the palms give dates to the people, so they have dates. They have almonds. They have um, yeah. They have citrus fruits. There's usually a lot of orange uh, trees. Um, and then they usually grow a little bit of wheat or of lucerne for the animals. They have a few goats. They have maybe a camel or two, or they have a few cows. The cows are always kept inside. So we saw, we've seen a lot of signboards, careful cow on near the road. And we've never seen a cow outside. We've only seen cows inside stables. So that was kind of strange. We saw more. So we've seen more horses, camels, goats, sheep. Uh, standing around outside. So, this was definitely a big, big experience for us. We enjoyed it tremendously. And I definitely said this has not been my last time I went to Morocco. I definitely want to go back one day, see some of the other parts of the country, more up in the north. I really would enjoy driving down the coast from Tangier down to um, Issaria, maybe, or even Agadir. Yeah, and then go back for a horse trail in the Atlas Mountains. And, of course, go down to the desert. That's one of the parts we haven't seen because that's quite far away. It was just too far to drive there. Uh, Plus, we had a very tiny car. We had a little Kia Picanto, probably the tiniest and smallest car the the rental had. Um, But it was perfect for the two of us. And what this little car did with us, we went up and down the mountains. We went... Uh, over roads which were not so well shaped particularly the pass roads up in the high mountains but then of course it's extremely difficult to um, keep this road in good shape because they're like pretty amazing up there that they were built you know in the first place it's pretty amazing and um, we took it into the national park with us we drove through creeks where i thought like oh my god let's hope the water will not reach anything (laughs) vital in the car and this little car just kept going and going and going and um it got it had a beautiful dust color uh somewhere between gray brown and green it was a perfect color for morocco um it got very dirty on the way um yeah but everything was fine It, it took us 1500 kilometers all through the country and yep it's definitely next time going down to the desert uh Probably looking for something more sturdy, uh, or maybe something of a katkat, which uh, what the Moroccans call a katkat is a quatre quatre, basically a SUV or a four by four. Um, So that's the kind of car you need to go down to the desert. Um, Very interesting. Uh, All the little donkey carts—they were called a katpat, which basically means four (laughs) hooves. Yeah, so I want to finish this episode today. I hope you enjoyed my little um, tour into Morocco. I really enjoyed it a lot. And I hope I was able to share it here with you. And yeah, maybe it could inspire some of you to to really look into the country and maybe go and visit it yourself. Yep, this was it for today's episode. I hope you really enjoyed listening to the Castron Adventures podcast. If you want to... um, read more, know more, um, do have a look into our show notes, have a look on our website. Uh, you'll find all the resources on adventures.com. and uh, yep, I hope you'll listen again next week when it's time for another episode of the Acestrian Adventures podcast. So long, happy trails everyone.